0: Welcome to the Free Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right. Well, we are very pleased to welcome in our next guest on Testimony Tuesday. We're so glad that you've uh, come to join us on the VBPH Sermon Podcast, and we are very, very pleased to welcome in our next guest, Pastor Paul O'Neill, who is all the way from down under. But he's not actually there. He is a missionary in Thailand. Welcome to Testimony Tuesday, Pastor O'Neill.
1: Well, thank you very much, Pastor. That uh, it's my privilege.
0: Well, thank you so much for making time to join us. Uh, we have had um, a really uh, a great response to these uh, to these particular episodes of the podcast, and so I'm excited to uh, to to get to hear your story.
1: It is good to be here. I have listened to some testimonies, and they've been very encouraging. So very valuable.
0: Well, praise God. We uh, we we hope to be an encouragement to people uh, all around the world, and. Um, so uh, I'd love to hear um, your, your origin story. What, what was it like for you growing up?
1: Okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm from Australia and um, I was born in the country in, uh, the, on the East Coast of Australia. And uh, that w- was just, a me- my memory is just a bliss of when I was very young. Uh, but uh, when I uh, I mean my family were were great uh, loving family a very close supportive network of relatives especially on my mother's side um, but uh, my mother died when I was about four uh, so that really changed the dynamic in our family and uh, I Because I was only four years old, uh, it was a a sad time for me, but uh, my father, my brother and sister really rallied around each other, our, our other family as well. And so as a young boy, I was insulated and protected from that and really quite happy uh, there living with my dad. My dad was uh, great to me. He was uh, my my best friend. Uh, so uh, that was all uh, good. We lived in Newcastle. My father, uh, New South Wales. My father was a truck driver, and he would take me in the truck, and I would sit in the passenger seat of a big truck, and he would be cutting coal and moving heavy earth moving equipment around Newcastle uh, to building sites. It's a port city, so they would be transporting uh zinc bullion and and different uh, metals and minerals and coal to Japan or uh to parts of Asia. So uh well, that life sounds was sounds like an great. adventure. Yeah life was great and uh my dad really looked after me but um about uh uh, after a few years my i think my father felt inadequate in raising me by himself and he married again and that's where the dynamic changed in my family uh my stepmother had uh three four children of her own one joined after they were married so my father married again and uh was it uh, just you or
0: you had brothers and sisters before
1: so my Older brother and sister were seven and 14 years older than me. So, about a seven year gap between the three of my siblings. Uh, and so, they left home when dad married again. They basically uh, moved out. Uh, our stepmother, after our father married again, she was quite hostile to us. And um, I guess she was unhappy. Uh, in herself. And uh, uh, she had her own personal problems. And so um, we all felt that we were not loved. We were not used to that. We were very much loved by our father and mother when she was alive, our relatives. So I began to, at, at a very young age, 13, 14 years old, begin to uh, go away from home uh, and take drugs, begin to smoke dope uh, began to get drunk. Uh, but mum and dad, uh, my stepmother were fighting every night, uh, that there was a lot of, uh, alcohol gambling. Uh, they, and it was, it was terrible. It was a really unhappy environment to be in. And so I left home and went to live with my sister, uh, in the country of New South Wales. Uh, So I left my father, my stepmother, my stepbrothers and stepsister and went to live uh, with my older sister who had left before and uh, she had married. And what happened when I moved away from my father is I moved away from that discipline and that stability in my life. So my sister loved me and took me in, but never really provided that discipline. That I needed. So at about fourteen years of age, I was able to really do whatever I wanted to do, uh, and that was not good for me. I began to drink. I began to smoke uh, cigarettes. I began to smoke uh, uh, ganja, and so I was really undisciplined, and uh, that became uh, just a downward spiral, where uh, I. Uh, when I started working, all of my money was spent on alcohol. And really, that was the only thing that I enjoyed in life. I was uh, very uh, hurt and uh, uh, looking for meaning and purpose in life. I was really lost. I uh, The only thing that I really enjoyed was taking drugs and girls mm. and uh, drinking alcohol. I was very unreliable, I was not very reliable at work, I was very undisciplined in my personality, Uh, never kept a job for very long, Uh, didn't really do well in school. And so what actually happened was this got worse and worse. I could tell you about drinking parties and uh, 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 all uh, experimenting with drugs, But basically, I got in trouble with the police. So I also got in trouble with some dangerous people in the city in which I lived. And I uh, rolled a car amazingly, rolled this car three or four times. The roof came off and I was uh, uh, very, very drunk, but actually unscathed. I uh, was in hospital simply because I was unconscious, drunk at the scene of the accident taken to hospital the police came i was charged with dangerous driving driving under the influence of alcohol and uh went to court and got a court order that i was not allowed to drink alcohol to the excess in that town i'd been banned from a lot of hotels and clubs places venues in that city and so knowing that i was not able to live without alcohol i left that city which was on the east coast of australia and went all the way to the west coast Hmm. of australia so the other side of the country sounds like you were running (laughs) i was running and i took all of my problems with me i uh was by myself really and um trying to start again i wanted a new start but i actually started doing the same things all over again
0: i have a couple of questions for you do you at what age did you make the big move
1: so i was about 21 at that age okay
0: and my my other question was um you, you you said that your your family, you, you don't remember, or you, you remember that there was a lot of fighting going on, obviously with your mom passing away when you were so young, you probably don't have a lot of memories of her. But right. I'm, I'm curious about if there was any kind of spiritual influence on you. Did, did, did dad or stepmom, did they take you to church at all? Or was there any kind of a background oh. with religion?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So we lived in a little, uh, the, te- the city that I lived in was very multicultural, lots of Greeks and Polish and Yugoslavian people, Italian, uh, Irish and Swedish, people from all over the world came there to work. There was work there, it was an industrial city and m- the, my family on my father's side were very religious in, in, in the Christian church. And my mother's uh, side of the family was Catholic, but they were from the country where I actually moved to so where I was living with m- all my trouble with my father and my stepmother was the city where my father were from and uh, his his uh, family on his, mother's side was Swedish and that they were involved in the Church of England so that that sounds complex but uh, it was a beautiful little church and I have these wonderful memories of going to church with my mum Christmas and Easter uh, and going to Sunday school in that church and actually pastor uh, when we were 12 year old one the one thing that my stepmother did which she felt was good for me was for me to be confirmed in the church of england and i had this horrible idea of not want uh, of hypocrisy and 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 of not wanting to be a hypocrite hypocrite so i actually decided that if i was going to be a christian i was going to be a real christian and i got confirmed in the church of england went to uh, Bible study for six weeks every Tuesday night p- to prepare for the confirmation. And uh, I didn't really understand the ceremony. Uh, it was a hilarious episode the the priest was, we're standing in the church in front of all the people in their Sunday best, uh, going through the ceremony with all the boys at, at 12 year old. And uh, the priest asked me, did you understand what, the message was about. He preached a message. And I said, no. <laughs> and he opened his eyes and looked at me. He became very worried. He said, uh, everybody's watching. I felt the pressure on me, the whole church watching. He said, do you pray, son? And uh, I thought, oh, and so I lied <laughs> and told him, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, but, and so that's a funny memory looking back. But I, at 12 years old, I started going to church by myself on a Sunday morning. And the only people in the church were older people, 40, 50 and older, and their children, very young people. There were no people my age, no teenagers, none at all. I had a Sunday school class to myself. And I remember the the Sunday school teacher, I think she was an aunt of mine on my father's side. Lovely, lovely lady, just a big, old, lovely person person taught Sunday school and we were sitting outside the church on a beautiful spring day, uh, on a picnic rug. And she told me how, when her husband died, she told me a testimony how, uh, she was praying. She was, she was heartbroken and distressed and just, uh, called out to God. And she felt a presence in her room. And she felt someone come up behind her and put her hand, his hand, on her shoulder. And I was just listening to her thinking, you know, this is an unusual story, but she was such a nice person that I really listened with an open mind. And when she told me that someone put her his hand on her shoulder, she put her hand on my shoulder and it went all over me. I felt electricity. I felt something go all over me. It was powerful. And I was so surprised something touched me. God touched me right there. I was 12 years of age. And, and I opened my eyes in shock, in surprise, knowing that it was real, that that God was real, that all the Sunday school t- stories that I'd heard were real. It, it, I was physically tingling all over. And God touched me. And I was so surprised that I'd never had that experience in the in the classes of my confirmation in the confirmation experience in in all of my life and Christian life, God had not touched me in that way. And on that day, God touched me. And so in all of the trouble in my family and in going to high school by myself, I found it very difficult to live as a Christian by myself in that church by myself without support. And that was where I began, began to leave that in church and to get into drugs. And and I forgot about that experience. As I was growing up in the other city where I moved to with my sister living there, I'd forgotten about that and began to get into drugs. And But you know what, Pastor, it, it's a great question that you ask me and you remind me because in all that time that I was in drugs, in all that time I was hardcore drinking Trying to do the one thing that gave me peace, the one thing that gave me uh, uh, an escape from all of the troubles in the world and the troubles that were inside me. I think I was running away from God and uh, trying to forget. And uh, what actually happened was I left uh, that city and moved to the other side of Australia and began to grow dope became successful at that began to make to a grow sorry a of, I, did, I didn't hear to grow what began to grow dope so began oh, to grow ganja okay. oh Beg- you were a grow. farmer yeah <laughs> so we were we were living on uh unemployment benefit in australia you can get paid to look for work at that time so but we were also making money on the side working on the side working undercover and and grow. <laughs> growing ganja, and what actually happened was that i had a lot of money i was drinking as much as i wanted drinking a lot uh just living a a, uh unrestrained lifestyle uh partying uh smoking a lot of ganja, taking drugs and what actually happened was that it wasn't working anymore i was not i was able to drink a carton of beer 24 cans of beer uh and not actually feel any any i would not really feel drunk my body would be drunk i would be intoxicated but not feel any pleasure that i used to feel get stoned and just feel paranoid and i began to get very paranoid i began to become disturbed in my mind and i began to think that uh i was being watched being watched by the government being watched by For the dope that i was growing i'm sure i was sure that there were satellites watching me and knew where my plants were and so i saw i took my dope i harvested my dope and uh left i thought i'm going to go and get a job and i went far away from there up to the north of west australia by myself and uh i began to work a job i did the only thing that i was really trained in and i'd done two years of an apprenticeship as a chef and so i went and got a job as a cook in a seaside resort in the the north of western australia a little town by the beach and began to work and i was working for several months and i was able to save money there i wasn't drinking i wasn't smoking dope stashing all this money away and after about six months i just felt so empty in everything in life drinking alcohol wasn't working for me anymore i didn't feel any pleasure in that it was the only thing that i enjoyed doing smoking dope only made me paranoid uh, and now uh, uh being with girls i'd just been disappointed heartbroken and nothing was working for me A- and um now working a job and and doing what i thought was trying to get myself together and be responsible and work a job and be a citizen and save money that just left me empty i was just empty and i decided that i was going to that life wasn't worth living for i just had this pain inside me this emptiness this futility Uh, and i decided that i was going to take my life i was going to have one big party. And end my life, which was very cowardly, I, ra- rather than uh, just end it suddenly, I, I wanted to do it while I was intoxicated and inebriated and, and in the, in the, in the stars, I was going to drink myself to death. And I drove from that country town to the biggest city in West Australia to Perth. I was on my way there. And on my way there, I, I started drinking and I stopped in a coastal city and I stayed a night and I went out and got drunk and I could not relate to anyone. I did not enjoy that experience. I I was really at the end of myself. I was, uh, it was just terrible. Uh, life was terrible, That life wasn't worth living for. I woke up in the morning and I walked down the street. I knew no one in the city. I was from the other side of Australia. And uh, I went to get some water and get some fruit because I was so hungover just to revive myself. And the first, there were all these people on the street that day handing out invitations to a concert that night at a church. But the first person that I bumped into was one of my good friends from the city that I came from on the other side of Australia. Oh, quit it. I was i was so surprised and she, she was with another lady and they were both pushing prams and kind of blocked the sidewalk so i looked up and saw her she was the first person i saw her and i knew her i went to school with her i used to party with her she was a good friend and she i said hello we said, hello so good to see you and she put a finger in my face and said you need jesus wow and I. <laughs> I was shocked but I was really lonely and she was a good friend and when she did that in the past I would have been very defensive and reacted against that because I think I was running from God and but I thought you know what if Jesus is real I need to know it I just had that thought in myself. It's like, why, why not? Why not check this out? I'm going to die anyway. I'm going to end my life. Nothing I do, I don't enjoy anymore. So well, there were, they had a concert on the street that morning in a park on the street. And I watched these young guys, 19, 20 years old, singing these songs about Jesus. And I'm sitting there. I was 23 years old. I was an alcoholic, a drug addict. And I was watching these guys and these young guys preaching. He was talking so fast he couldn't remember what he was saying. Uh, you can picture the scene. And and I, and then he did an altar call and he invited everyone to, to that wanted to ask Jesus into their heart to come forward. And I'm watching all these people, and three or four people went forward and I looked at them and I saw, I thought, they were Christians. They were doing that for me so that I would not feel embarrassed that if i put my hand up and went forward and i saw through it i i just knew what a fake was and they weren't fake but they were doing that as their method to uh help people not feel embarrassed and i just i could see through falseness because i'd lived my life being false everything i did but i went back with my friend to her house and she was married And I was so shocked. Her life was changed. She wasn't drinking anymore. She was married. She wasn't smoking dope. And we were sitting on her front veranda. I was smoking cigarettes, arguing with her. I was arguing about Buddhism. I was saying Buddha could be the answer, which is funny now, living in a Buddhist country. How funny. (laughs) Uh, And I didn't know what I was talking about. And I was arguing with her. And talking about religion, and she was trying to tell me about Jesus. And then she stopped, and this was the most profound experience of my life. This is powerful. She looked at me and she said, Jesus, the picture of Jesus in churches is a lie. And I could picture this picture of Jesus. And she said, Do you know Jesus was God? And that was the strangest thing I'd ever heard because I'd grown up in church and I'd been confirmed. I never heard that Jesus was... I didn't understand what Jesus is God. She said, the Bible says Jesus is God. And because of my background, I believed that the Bible was true. I, I just did believe that the Bible was the gospel and that, well, okay, if the Bible says Jesus is God... It must be true. And then she began to tell me how Jesus died. She began to describe the events leading up to the crucifixion, that Jesus had his beard pulled out. He was blindfolded and, and beaten. and mocked and ridiculed and uh, that he was whipped almost to death. And then he was made to carry the cross up to Uh, the place where he was crucified, and he was nailed to that cross. And as he was hanging on the cross, they taunted him and mocked him and said, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down. And as she told me that, I suddenly couldn't hear her voice anymore. And the most profound experience happened to me. I think I don't know what happened. I can't describe it. Time stood still, and in a moment of time, I got a Bible study by the Holy Spirit. God opened my mind. It was like that. My head, my mind, my eyes were open, and I understood that Jesus was God. That He was. That this was real. That I could see this, and that that Jesus died upon the cross for me. That that it, that it was not about religion, that it was my sin. I crucified Jesus, that he died for me as an alcoholic, that he died for me as that person sitting there that day with no meaning and no hope and no purpose, who had, who had turned away from him and rejected him and turned to sin and done all sorts of evil things that I, I am ashamed to talk about or would be ashamed to talk about. And I realized that Jesus was Lord God, died upon the cross. And I had the stub of a homemade cigarette in my yellow fingers. I was a drawn out, empty alcoholic at 23 years old. I looked up at her and she was looking at me and I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And her jaw dropped. And her eyes opened up, and and she she was speechless, and we both knew what that meant. And and on that moment, I believed that I was saved. I believed that I was born again. I believe I that I had made Jesus Lord of my life. That I had confessed Him as Lord. I went to a concert that night in the church, and uh, it was the most wonderful experience of my life. I saw hundreds of young people. Uh, The church was full of young people that were happy, that liked each other, that welcomed me. I was blown away. I could not believe it. They did an altar call. And although that same feeling was not happening in the altar call at the concert, I put my hand up and went down to the front because I wanted to become a member of that church. That was why I went to the altar call. Uh, I was in. I was all in. I was sold. Wow. uh, Oh, man. Powerful experience.
0: That, that's absolutely remarkable. Uh, I, I picked up on something that you had mentioned a couple of times as you were describing your life before this big event, which was you, you stated many times that you were alone, that you were on your own, that you were kind of wandering on, on your own. And, and so it's remarkable to me how God uses different methods to reach different people. And in your case, he 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 spoke to you through someone that you were already familiar with, and right. maybe because you were in such a lonely moment, th- do you think that 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 had uh, any effect on 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 how you were brought into the kingdom?
1: Absolutely, Pastor. Absolutely, the uh, the loneliness that I was feeling was uh, a, a big black empty hole, and uh, it, normally. I would fill that emptiness by going to a bar and drink alcohol and have that Dutch courage to talk to people. Uh, but that was not working anymore. I, I was not relating to people anymore. I went to a bar the night before and there were all these young surfies with sun bleached blonde hair and pink t shirts. And I was a boot wearing blue jean, uh, wearing bike, motorcycle riding you know, leather, black leather, I just could not relate to these people. So you're right. Spot on. If you'd like to hear the rest of this
0: sermon, subscribe today. It's only $3 a month when you subscribe at supercast.tech or four ninety nine per month when subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. We thank you for joining us on this special preview of the VBPH sermon podcast. of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.